I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Matt Denby. Guess what's coming up on this week's binge list? This for me is is one of my favorite shows to binge and and one of my favorite shows on Netflix. The Devil Wears Prada meets Mr. Robot meets Fight Club. It's good TV for adults. It's good TV for people with a brain. Waste of everybody's time, including mine, having to endure it. While I need to be drunk to have sex with you. Shock and blood and gore and stuff. It's just too camp and unsubtle. Yeah, so does that mean that my TV credentials have to be stripped from me? Oh, this is complete rubbish. Welcome back to Binge List, your favourite Aussie TV podcast. I'm your host, Matt Denby, and joining me today are Who Magazine's TV experts, Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon. Welcome back, guys. Hello. Hi, everybody. This week, we're talking about the return of the original streaming TV sensation, as well as one big critical darling and Casey Donovan's unlikely TV comeback, and also a blood-soaked orgy of death. Let's get into it. Well, Netflix's Orange is the New Black helped to redefine TV, ushering in the binge TV era and creating a huge buzz around Netflix itself. Last season broke the mould by focusing on an epic season-long riot, but this time we're going back to basics of a kind anyway. With season six now available to binge, is Orange still fresh or is it just more out-of-date fruit? What do you think, Gavin? I would say it's still fresh. It's approaching its expiry date, but it hasn't got there just yet, I would say. Uh, yes, as you mentioned, Matt, season five was all about that riot. Um, it went across 13 episodes, but it took place in the space of, you know, three or four days or something. And season six is all about the aftermath of that riot. We've got all of the prisoners from Litchfield Penitentiary sent to two different prisons. And we follow the prisoners that are sent down to max, so maximum security. And... Obviously, we need to get to the bottom of the riot. Who was to blame for the riot? Uh, you know, who should be held accountable, that kind of thing. And that's what the authorities are looking for. They're looking for a scapegoat. They're looking to pin the blame on someone and they're turning the prisoners against each other, hoping that they'll dob each other in and they'll be able to go, right, so-and-so was responsible for the, for the riot and, you know, we can wash our hands of it after that. So most of the key players, Piper, Alex, Red, Tasty, Crazy Eyes, Dyer, if you watch the show, you'll know what those names mean. Uh, (laughs) They're in uh, maximum security just down the hill from Litchfield and half the rest of the cast are over in Ohio. We'll get to them later. But um, this maximum security prison they're sent to is kind of full on. Obviously, the the previous prison they were at was, uh, you know, was low security. It was like a holiday camp, basically. And this new season, you know, it's these serious criminals who are in here. And there's a number of different cell blocks. And two of the blocks, uh, C and D, have this intense feud between them. So we see our favourite characters thrust into the middle of this really quite deadly feud and forced to choose sides will they you know will they turn against the people they used to live with up the road and you know become part of this feud so um so claire what did you think of this basically this reinvention of orange is the new black for season six 
Yeah, no, I think it's really, really clever, actually. I, I thought that last season was really clever too by um, condensing it all into into um, sort of three days and making this making the whole series just about that right. Um, I kind of had drifted away from a little bit before that point. Like I watched the first two seasons and then it just started to feel a little bit same-same and around that time I kind of discovered Wentworth and not, not that they're comparable but I was just like I, I think I just had a little bit too much of – of um, women's prisons and <laughs> but um yeah so I drifted away but I watched the first episode of this season and it really reinvigorated my interest uh, what I did and for those that like me that might have sort of drifted off a little bit I hopped on Google and did a refresher and there's heaps of recaps on series five because actually quite a bit of time has passed since that last series was here and so it, it kind of makes sense to have a little read about what where we're at but um, yeah, and and I'm glad that I did that because coming back in, everything actually kind of made sense. And the thing that really struck me right from the start, it's quite an interesting, like those that have seen it, it's quite an interesting way to kind of get back into this most recent series via Suzanne. But um, yeah, the the, the the characters that really piqued my interest were the sadistic prison guards. Like it's next level in this new series. Like. It seems like they have some kind of weird draft pick sort of Super League game going on where they get to kind of pick their inmates and you get 10 points for a suicide and 20 points for a pregnancy. It's really morbid, but it's actually kind of hilarious. And it's, yeah, I'm totally back on board with this. What did you think, Matt? I I loved it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like yourself, I've been away for a while and um, I found the opening sequences seen through Suzanne's mental distortions quite interesting and um, creative. But they're ultimately quite alienating if you're new or you've been vacillating with this show. You know, we have interpretive dance moments and Muppet references, (laughs) but it's not that cute because then we sort of get into issues like child abuse and then there's a a wrist-cutting scene which was absolutely revolting, really disturbing actually. Um, As far as the new prison guards, I thought that that new main prison officer woman was kind of interesting to begin with but then it became laughable like a camp caricature as she's eavesdropping on the prisoners during their phone time writing notes on a post-it quite (laughs) silly sort of pantomime stuff is this a farce or is it a serious drama the tones were all over the place what did you think Gavin? Yeah the the tone of Orange is the New Black does often shift like that I I must say the the scenes with Suzanne told from her perspective which, which you mentioned They've never done anything like that before. Mm. Um, they've, they've obviously gone into her flashback, but they've never shown the world as seen through Suzanne's eyes. And so that was a really interesting way to start this season. And as you say, you know, some people aren't going to like it, but it's, yeah. it's atypical of the show that we've seen up until now, and it's atypical of this season. There's not a lot of of things that that's surreal, basically. That that yeah, but was. if. It's quite typical of um, the creator's vision because um, the same person that's responsible for Orange is the New Black was also behind um, Weeds. And I I was obsessed with that show and watched every single season. And it it kind of at times did start to get very surreal and very um, almost slapstick and strange, Mm. which is kind of part of the appeal. And, like, I I kind of agree with Matt in that if you drifted away and that that's your first re-entry, you'd be like, what the hell's going on? But somehow, by the end of that first episode, I was really on board with it. I liked it. Yeah, the the rest of the season is very much Orange is the New Black as we know it, just in this new location. There are funny bits, there are dark bits, and, you know, the dark bits are quite dark. These these women are quite vicious Mm. and brutal towards each other. Um, And it does, yeah, flop from comedy to drama. I remember a few years ago, 
no one knowing where to put Orange is the New Black in the Emmy categories. Is it a comedy? Yeah. Is it a drama? And they had to have a certain amount of jokes per page of script to qualify as, as one <laughs> rather than the other. That's so weird. Um, so it does, yeah, jump around like like that from from tone to tone, which I've always liked about Orange is the New Black. With the um, the guards you mentioned, yeah, that the guards are sadistic and they're they're matched by the new prisoners we meet. Um, so. There are a lot of prisoners missing. They've gone off to another prison in Ohio and characters like Boo, So-So, Mute Norma, who I never liked, Leanne and Angie and Maritza, they're, they're all gone. You don't see them at all this season. We see Boo for like two seconds and the rest of them mm. we don't see at all. But I in, love Boo. Yeah, yeah. She, she's always been really funny. Um, but in their place, these new characters, there are two sisters, Barb and Carol, and one of them is in C block and one of them is in D block, and they have this intense hatred for each other, and that's why the blocks are, are, are feuding. And we go back into their backstory and find out why they hate each other and why they're out, basically out to kill each other. And there are all their flunkies. Barb and Carol have all their flunkies who make life hell for, you know, for for the people we love who have come down the road from Mm. from the minimum security prison. So these new prisoners are really interesting. We get some backstories on some of them. And even though a lot of our favourites aren't there this season, some of these will become your new favourites. Oh, awesome. But to, to, I I guess to to finish off our, our discussion, of Orange is the New Black, it is the perfect show for me to binge. Every year I have watched all 13 episodes in about a week because often the timeline of the storyline is condensed, like The Riot. It's not always quite as compact as The Riot. But um, you can, you know, you feel like you're watching it in real time. It's almost like as if, if we were binging 24, the Jack Bauer series. Be- <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I watched all 13 episodes of, of this again in, in rapid time. The other thing is I never want to get things spoiled. So I like to watch it all before anyone can tell me, oh, so-and-so dies or this happens. So if you are a fan, get through it as quick as you can and then know that you're going to have a year wait until the next season. Yeah. Do you think we need to do another debrief in a couple of weeks' time once everyone's had a chance to do that? Is it is it is it worth me watching the whole season, Gav? I would say so. I loved it. I mean, I, this for me is is one of my favourite shows to binge, uh, and and one of my favourite shows on Netflix because um, you know it's always consistent. They're always doing something new to refresh it. Just when you're going to get bored, oh, there's a riot. Just when you're going to get bored, oh, they're putting everyone in a new prison. Uh, you know, they they reinvent it. Uh, perfectly every time um so i would say yeah if you've watched it before and liked it watch it again and there are some big things in the finale and i don't want to spoil them because obviously people have only had a week to watch it so far some big things in the finale that happen uh yeah i don't even say want to hint at what they are but some good news for some people and some really bad news for others which are going to make oh. season seven very is it to do with alex Where's Alex? That's what I want to know. Alex, anyway. Alex is in the mix, yeah, to do with Piper and Alex, to do with Tasty, to do with – oh, look, I've said too much. Oh. <laughs> Watch. That, that's what I'd say. Binge, binge, binge. Okay. I haven't decided if I'm going to continue with this one. Part of me sort of thinks that this was a show of its time, you know, the dawning of the Netflix era. And so much has happened since then, you know, both on television and off television, that it sort of feels like maybe it's time to look forward to something new. I will persist with Orange, but let's see if I make it to the end. If you're interested in watching Orange is the New Black, the new season is available now on Netflix. I would just add, I think it's got one more season in it. One more season and then it should be done. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine.
Spin-off series rarely seem to meet the standards of the originals, but the Breaking Bad prequel Better Call Saul seems to be an exception. This series, which charts the evolution of a small-time lawyer, Jimmy McGill, into crime figure Saul Goodman, has been a consistent critical darling. Stan will be showing season four from August 7, and we've been lucky enough to see a preview. Gavin, what did you think? Well, this was a really interesting show for me to cover because, shock of all shocks, I never watched Breaking Bad. I tried twice. I I watched the pilot twice, got through it all the way to the end, and I didn't mind it, but I wasn't compelled to watch more, um, probably because of the slow tone of of that series and uh, Better Call Saul. It's more... uh, I kind of feel like it has a snowball effect. You watch two, three, four episodes, and then you're in. And whereas if you mm. only if you only watch the pilot, you might just go, "Yeah, it's okay," but you know, it ha- it hasn't really grabbed you. Um, and so I came to Better Call Saul having never watched Breaking Bad beyond the pilot, and having never watched the previous three seasons of Better Call Saul. <laughs> so I, you know, I read up on it, and obviously, I knew the basics of it. But I did find the yeah the first episode of season four of Better Call Saul again quite slow. It, it's the aftermath of the tragedy that we saw at the end of season three with the um, w- with the death of Jimmy's brother. Uh, so that all played out. We saw Jimmy find out what had happened to Chuck. Um, so I knew the basics of that, but I kind of because I, I wasn't a regular viewer, it, it didn't really mean that much to me. And when discussing it with with you guys, I realised we're all in the same boat. None of us are, are fans of these <laughs> yeah. shows, isn't that right, Claire? Yeah, it's really funny because you know, obviously, I write about TV for a living, and I am a TV reviewer. But Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul have have completely passed me by, not even a little bit, but completely, because it's one of those. Um, Breaking Bad was always one of those shows that I was like, I really want to commit to watching this from the beginning. I want to give mm. myself that joy, but I just haven't had time. And it kind of, it got to the point where I missed the first, I missed the second, I missed the third series. And then it was like, oh, you know, it's just too late. It's too late to get into it. So I was thinking with Better Call Saul, I was going to watch this preview. And I thought, you know what? I don't even want to watch it because I can't review it and I can't critique it watching one episode, having not seen anything from any of these other shows. And what I want to know is, like, why? Why do I feel like this about about this show? It's such a seminal um, series of the last kind of decade or so. You know, everybody, it feels like everyone in the world seen either Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, except me. But I just kind of feel like I can't quite dip in um, unless I go back and watch it. But here's the thing. I don't know whether I should watch Breaking Bad first or watch Better Call Saul because Better Call Saul is kind of, actually a prequel is it Matt like I don't even yeah it is a prequel somebody help me (laughs) yeah now unlike you two I was a fan of Breaking Bad the early years I did enjoy the first season and this and parts of the second season but you know life got in the way it's just one of those shows you know you are enjoying it and then you realize I haven't uh, caught up with what's happening it's drifted away from me it is a great show um and better call soul is very much of the same ilk if you haven't watched it it's good tv for adults it's good tv for people with a brain it's not super fast it does have amazing jolts has amazing shocks but it also has a lot of detailed character study that just sort of drifts by and you're sitting there watching it enjoying it picking out the details i really enjoyed this episode of better call soul and i don't think you need to have watched Breaking 
Breaking Bad to start with this series at all. Um, in fact, if you wanted to start with either, I'd say start with uh, Breaking Bad because that's the uh, the genuine original yeah, story. Right. It's just like you wouldn't tell someone new to Star Wars to start with The Phantom Menace, but I'm not <laughs> suggesting that Better Call Saul yeah. is like The Phantom Menace. It's interesting you say that, though, because yeah. friends of mine have just started getting involved with the Marvel movie universe yeah. and they have actually started watching it, not, not in the order that the movies were released, but in the order it would sort of chronologically be. And they're like really committed to that process of, of doing it properly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the, I think from a technical and artistic level, this is really artfully done without being self-conscious or pretentious. You don't think there's, you know, art school graduates here trying to impress us. It's just really <laughs> integrated very well. The atmosphere is fantastic. It's got atmosphere in spades and the performances are all sensational. So if you like high-quality television, I would suggest give this show a go. But start from the first season if you're, if you're new. Don't start here. I did start from the first season of Breaking Bad, you mean? And Better Call Saul. Yeah. I did go back after trying to watch um, episode one of season four. I thought, right, maybe I should go back to the beginning. So I did watch the first episode of season one of Better Call Saul. And and I did like, you know, seeing him in the courtroom and, and yeah, being this kind of loser lawyer who's, you know, not that great. And all that stuff with those two skateboarders trying to rip people off. That, that was quite fun. Um, so I think, yeah, given time, I would persist with this show because you know it's won so many emmys it and breaking bad have won you know all the emmys all, all the all the awards that it's received i think it is worth the time i think claire you're right you you need to commit to it you need to sit mm. down and go right i'm gonna you know block out a weekend and try and knock off a season and then block out some some more time and try to do the same it, it's a show that seems to require attention i don't think you can watch it and be doing two other things at the same time mm. Like some other yeah. shows we've talked about, <clears throat> Love Island. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think when I find some time, I, w- I do want to watch them. Uh, but, yeah, from the beginning, getting the whole point of them and, and taking it from there. Yeah. Hey, do you want to know something? I've got a confession to make. Um, I've actually also never watched Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, you've said that. You've said that before. And, yeah, and you so know does when, that mean that my TV credentials have to be stripped from me? They may yes. be. You know that in 2019 yeah. when we get to Game of Thrones, you are going to have to at, at least, uh, I don't know, watch one of those YouTube things which sums up all seven seasons oh. in five minutes or something. So at least, yeah. you, <laughs> at least you're yeah. kind of across it. If you're interested in watching Better Call Saul, season four starts on August 7 on Stan. And tell us why you like it. Tweet us because obviously, yeah, the, yeah. Three, the three of us aren't regular viewers, you know, we've dipped in or Matt's watched a bit more than than the other two of us. But tell us why you love it. Tell us what's so yeah, good about it. Yeah, convince me. Yes. You're listening to The One and Only Binge List. It's TV news time and Channel 10's ongoing commitment to Aussie comedy sees the launch of new series Street Smart from August 5. From two of the creators of Here Come the Habibs, this one follows central character Steve as he puts together a highly disorganised crime gang out of his parents' Western Sydney garage. Guys, this is getting credit for its multicultural cast on a network that recently has been slated for allegedly prioritising mostly straight white blokes in its pilot week scheme. Hmm. But did you laugh, Claire? Did I laugh? No, I did not. Look, I you have to applaud Channel 10 for taking this bold programming risk, really. Um, but I can't help 
thinking that putting it at 8pm on a Sunday might be a massive mistake because it's just not that funny, Mm. Uh, which is really brutal. But the series is about a gang of would-be criminals who see themselves as pretty kind of cool Ocean's Eleven-style gangsters. Um, But really, they're just a bunch of suburban suburban bogans. And um, when you find out that it's kind of from the creators of Here Come the Habibs and stars people who've popped up in pizza and swift couriers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it kind of all makes sense. But the first episode um, sees gangsters trying to break into the local police station to se- to steal some seized property, and it all goes really wrong. Uh, yeah, so there's a there's a good there's a potentially good setup, but it, you know it just falls a bit flat for me. But I have to say, the person that I was most taken with was Casey Donovan, who pops up in this as um, Joe's sidekick Tia. Joe is played by Rob shahadi who i think is one of the creators or i could be wrong but anyway she's really she's actually really funny and really great and i really enjoyed seeing her on screen and it made me think why don't we see casey acting more often but look i just wish that they would spend more money like networks and local production companies tweaking their scripts and and having a few more eyes reading it over because it just fell really flat for me and i didn't like it honestly i didn't so, yeah, does anyone else share my feeling? Gav, what did you think? Oh, this is complete rubbish. And this comes from someone who sat through the Halzos movie. <laughs> I like Halzos. I really like it. It always makes me laugh. Oh, I, I wouldn't say I like it, but I, I, I see the point of Halzos. But, oh my, oh my yeah. gosh, the movie, the Halzos movie really stretched the friendship, uh, which was already tenuous. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know, do 10 really think people are going to watch this? It feels really dated and not in a cool retro throwback kind of way. Just a, Also, it kind of feels a little bit like a kid show. Mm. That thing yeah. with, with the guy in, in someone's front yard with the bits of plants on his head, you know, trying to hide. It's like, you're not fooling anyone. We can all see you. And that's actually not very funny. It, it, yeah, it, right. It seems like a kid show that, yeah, yeah like maybe my four-year-old daughter would look at it and go, ha, ha. But, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the test of any comedy, no matter how high or lowbrow, is whether it's funny. And this is decidedly unfunny. It's like, and what? I didn't laugh. I don't think I no. laughed once. No. The whole entire – and I, I was just sort of going – I was waiting for the zinger. And there's some good people in this. Like, there was no zinger. Some really good – yeah, there was nothing. No. It was just nice to see Casey doing a passable job um, – as you know, acting that like I, I that was the only thing I could think that was going for this series, which is awful because as I said before, I hate bagging out on locally produced series. But oh my god, like ten, what were you thinking? It was a waste of everybody's time, including mine, having to endure it. Matt, your <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, look, it was nice to see a bit more ethnic diversity on mass market Aussie commercial TV. But it's a shame that although multicultural Australia gets a go, women are mostly sidelined to bit parts. Where are they all besides Casey? Yeah, where are the yeah, yeah. Um, I think Casey is one of the best things here. The only one who wasn't constantly mugging for the camera or projecting like they're in a, a kiddie play. Um, mm-hmm. Let's hope she gets more acting work out of this. Maybe she could have played the Uber driver character in this because she has, uh, by her own confession, been an Uber driver recently too. <laughs> Maybe she's got some good insights. Maybe she could actually uh, bring something to the script because there's not a lot to this script as it is. There certainly aren't any jokes. That's the me- biggest mystery yeah. about this, that there she aren't won't. any jokes, not, not even jokes that don't land just no jokes and it's not done in that sort of really clever observational humor kind of way it's just 
things happen and they're not funny. You're wondering <laughs> when it's going to take off. This really is a dud. I'm sorry. I'm mm, probably it's a yeah. I, it's sad to say because it is extremely hard to make comedy, good comedy. It's extremely hard to make good sitcoms. Australia does not have a great uh, history with sitcoms no. at all. This is a very difficult task, but unfortunately, this is another fail. Wouldn't you say, Gavin? Oh, I, I would. I would. I mean, when Australia's most successful comedy or sitcom is Hey Dad. You know, you know we've got oh a we've got a problem. Let's not. I actually disagree with that though, because Robin Robin um, Butler and Wayne Hope, uh, they the, they are the husband and wife team behind Upper Middle Bogan and um, a heap of other stuff. They also do stuff for kids. They did Little Lunch. They produce some really great stuff, and they've got um, Back in Small Business coming to ABC really soon, which I think we should talk about. So I actually disagree. There are people making good comedies in Australia. They're just definitely not on commercial TV. Yeah. Well, after all that, listeners, if you're still interested in watching Street Smart, it's on Channel 10 from August 5. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) To binge or not to binge? That is the question. Well, better late than never, American Horror Story Cult is now available on Foxtel almost a year after it first aired on American TV. The seventh season of the popular horror franchise deals with the direct aftermath of the election of Donald Trump, and the terror begins immediately for one particularly vocal character. Yes, there's endless screaming and a lot of blood, but is it still scary? What did you think, Gavin? Oh, look, I find this hard to take seriously. Like everything else (laughs) Ryan Murphy is involved in, it's just too camp and unsubtle uh, and so over the top. You know, for me, the best horror is a little cleverer, especially these days. Back in the days when Connie Britton starred in American Horror Story, i.e. the first season, I gave up watching because it was just too silly and nothing has changed for me. So in this season, as Matt said, it takes place straight after the election of Donald Trump and a a local businesswoman, Ali Mayfair Richards, played by Sarah Paulson, is, you know, completely goes off the deep end. She was hoping for a (laughs) Hillary win. And uh, it brings up, obviously it unhinges her a little and it brings up all these phobias she used to have. Phobias about things with holes in them, which is a weird one. Um, And a clown clown phobia she has. And that leads to her having these visions of being attacked by clowns. Or are they visions? Mm. That, that's the big question. So these killer clowns are running around the neighbourhood, or are they? And uh, so there's <laughs> blood and gore and all that kind of thing. But um, it, it's another show that has something to say about life in a Trump world, but it's a bit hard to take the hardships faced by a couple of affluent white women that seriously when immigrants are being forcibly separated from their children. Yeah, that's I mean, way more horrifying. Yeah, I mean, boo-hoo. You, you, you're starting to see clowns, you know. I, I felt very little sympathy for Ali um, and, and her breakdown, which, you know, means maybe harsh. But uh, it just seems like, okay, you didn't like, you don't like the new administration, we'll do something about it, don't crumble into a heap. So I, I felt like everything Ryan Murphy does is, is completely heavy-handed. Um, you know, chances are if you're already an American Horror Story convert, you'll lap it up. But if you're not, I don't think this one is going to win you over. What did you guys think? Because I know you two watched it as well. Claire, what were your thoughts on American Horror Story um, Cult? I thought Sarah Paulson was actually really great. But um, like you, I actually, I don't like, like I just don't like this series and mostly because I really don't like the horror genre that, you know, the traditional horror genre of shock and and blood and gore and stuff. And there's actually a lot of that sort of stuff Mm. in this. And I like my horror content to be a little more subtle. Like I recently watched The Quiet Place, which is just so good. 
but there's literally no dialogue in it and that to me is much more horrifying but as as i, I said before like that the stuff that's going on in the trump administration and the state of things in the states to me is way more horrifying than anything that ryan murphy can chuck at us like it's almost got to the stage where i can't listen to the news anymore because it's just all too horrifying you know so i can kind of see how sarah paulson's character could get to the hysterical place that she is in episode one but i just couldn't stick with this like it was just yeah, it was all just too gruesome. So what I did was, and I recommend this for people who share my thoughts, is I just Googled what happens in the end and I felt like I'd still watch it <laughs> but without having to see all the gross stuff. And, it, yeah, it's a very hard pass for me. I will not be watching this show. Matt, you liked it a little bit more than me, I think, didn't you? I did. I really enjoyed it, actually. Now, oh. I've got a history with American Horror Story. I've watched most of them and enjoyed most of them. I've dipped a few out. Um, I've left a few behind. I didn't watch the last season. Now, I know I'm supposed to be in sense that this hasn't been seen in Australia for nearly a year, but I ended up mm. kind of liking that. It gave me a break. I, I dipped out of the Lady Gaga season halfway through because I just wasn't feeling it. But I came back with this fresh and I actually really enjoyed it. Gavin, you were saying that you didn't feel a lot of sympathy for Ali. Now, I'm not entirely sure we're supposed to feel sympathy for Ali. She's so neurotic, so self-obsessed, so bourgeois, so self-important. I think we're supposed to kind of see her as a bit of a down-low hate figure in some ways. You know, the way that she was carrying on on election night, I won't believe this until Rachel Maddow says it, the FU uh, Huffington (laughs) Post rant. She's just like this ridiculous caricature stereotype of a need. She's a really bad mum too too like yeah. you know her poor kid like that first episode and she's just like you know oh yeah I really hated her and she's kind of awful to her partner Ivy as well like Ivy's yeah. cooking her a nice dinner and Ivy's uh Ivy's hoping that she's going to get uh her into bed that night and um Ali basically says well I need to be drunk to have sex with you in as many words and you think what a horrible person so so sort of self-absorbed and so lacking in self-awareness um, I kind of feel in my waters that Ivy may not be what she seems. I kind of feel that maybe she may be a gaslighter. Now, I haven't seen to the end of this and I haven't read any spoilers. That's just my gut feeling. I'd love to see how it turns out. Another thing I love about this season is Billy Lord. I think she's fantastic. She's a great addition to the cast. And I think she sort of balances out... Uh, her brother in this, Kai, who's played by Evan Peters. I feel Evan's a bit overexposed in this franchise. He always seems to play the same wide-eyed psycho. And oh, he's the, and, so good at it, though, isn't he? Yeah, and the and the role he's playing in this one is a little too close to Heath Ledger's Joker for my liking. What did oh, you think, yeah, Claire? Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you there, actually. There's definitely shades of him. But, yeah, there is something. Like, he just reminds me of those creepy – you know when you catch the train, like, really late at night and there's always someone kind of slightly creepy and emo sitting and, like, staring at you from one of the, one of the, one of the seats? Maybe that's just me. So yeah. he kind of nails that character. But, um, yeah, no, nah, I'm just so I, – I can't even invest in this, sorry. Yeah. I didn't like the clown obsession. I'm finding that really tight. I'm not clown-phobic like most uh, thinking people. I don't find clowns funny, but I'm not really frightened of them. So that got a bit tedious for me. I did love the phobia about things with holes, you know, Ali having a freak out about seeing coral or seeing a crumpet. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny that they're going down different tangents there. I 
I can't wait to see how that phobia ends up torturing her. Um, look, I, I found this entertaining, but after so many seasons, I can't say that I'm genuinely frightened by much of this. There aren't many genuine shocks. It's kind of watching some, um, some good characterization and some witty characters and uh, some, some sort of campy fun writing that I like about this. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the really gratuitous violence in this. That does nothing for me, but it's got me interested in continuing watching this season, which I didn't think would happen after the Gaga debacle. So if you're interested in watching American Horror Story Cult, it's currently available on Foxtel. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. The best gems are the hidden ones. And Claire, you've been watching Dietland on Amazon Prime, which is a platform we haven't touched on before. Yeah, I have. Um, I've been quite enjoying this. I, but I have to admit, I hadn't really heard much about this series and I haven't really heard much about Amazon Prime, to be honest. It's really huge over in the States and in the UK. People, you know, it's up there with, with Netflix and stuff, but people just don't seem to know about it over here. But anyway, it's got some good stuff. Um, one of them is this show, which is taken from a 2015 novel by someone called Saray Walker called Dietland. And it's been adapted for TV by um, Marty Noxon, who is the woman behind Unreal. She is also responsible for Sharp Objects, which I am currently watching and currently obsessed by. I love it. Mm. So this one is about a morbidly obese woman named Plum who's played by newcomer Joy Nash, who's really great. Now, this woman works as a ghostwriter at a magazine for an uber-stylish sort of ice queen editor, Kitty, who is played by Julia Margulies, who looks almost completely unrecognisable in this. She's kind of got that whole um, Devil Wears Prada vibe going on. But essentially, she works as that magazine's Dolly Doctor. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dolly Doctor. Oh, very, very. I grew up in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go, Dolly Magazine. So she's been hired to kind of answer readers' questions um, from their letters and make Kitty sound good. But she's desperately unhappy. She's overweight. She's got zero self-confidence. And she's basically just counting the days until she can qualify for bariatric surgery. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Somewhere along the way, she gets um, kind of entangled with a revolutionary group who are determined to kind of overthrow the misogynistic status quo. So she's she's recruited by a band of feminist assassins led by the heiress to a weight loss pyramid scheme, which is quite bizarre. But anyway, and they, they embark on this murder spree of prominent men accused of sexual misconduct, rape and all sorts of yucky stuff. So essentially it's, an, it's the ultimate feminist revenge fantasy and poor old Plum gets kind of mixed up in all of this. And, and the best way to describe this, I think, is probably the Devil Wears Prada meets Mr. Robot meets Fight Club. Um, I wasn't 100% in sh- like sure whether I liked this. It's kind of it doesn't necessarily know what it wants to be. But it, it does feel very of the moment and it's, um, it's kind of an interesting peek inside the world of Glossy Magazine. I have actually worked in for many years um, over the years when I was a bit younger. So, yeah, I, I did find it interesting and I, I'm going to watch more. But, yeah, Gav, what did you think? Yeah, I watched this as well because I was really interested to see Juliana Margulies, um, what she did after The Good Wife. But I thought, yeah, it was going to be kind of like an Ugly Betty type show where you get the, mm. mis- the misfit working in the mag- world of magazines. But as you say, it, yeah, throw in it's some... It's not at all. Throw in some Mr. Robot and some, yeah, b- bizarre kind of... Uh, stuff going on in, in, you know, 
underground lairs and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's so weird. It's got this weird undercurrent going to it. But um, yeah, I I had read that you need to watch two episodes for it to really make sense. I've only watched one, and so I'm still a little bit puzzled by it. But yeah, I, I've watched more than that, and it does start to make a lot more sense. Yeah, you got to stick with it. I think it's going to really appeal to a very specific demographic, and people are likely to really. Uh, quite like and quite identify with Plum. And the chick that plays her is really, really great. But you definitely have to stick with this. And um, I'm still on the fence. I'm halfway through it. I'm not 100% sure whether I'm going to continue. Nah, I don't know. Mm. It, it is a good opportunity for us to cover Amazon Prime as well. We've, we've got another show of theirs coming up uh, in a few episodes' time. Um, so, yeah, it is it's good to spread the love a bit uh, to all these different streaming services. Whether you should subscribe to Amazon Prime just for this show, mm. I don't know. But they also have um, American Gods is is on there as well. That, yeah. that got a lot of critical acclaim. So, yeah, maybe do the one-month trial if they've got one. And uh, Yeah, yeah, I reckon. See what you like. If you're interested in Dietland, it's available now on Amazon Prime. Thanks for joining us again. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you're subscribed via iTunes or Omni and tell your friends all about us. We've been doing great on the iTunes charts, but I want to go higher, higher, higher. We are looking (laughs) forward to hearing from you on Twitter as well, so look out for GavinScott99. I am Claire and Mr. Matt Denby. Please tweet us. Until next time, happy viewing, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.